What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on the performance of a lifetime. We want our whole lives to be a reflection of God's will for us. And last week we saw how we are called to be salt and light. It's not a thing where sometimes we follow God's call and sometimes we don't. It's all or nothing. Either you are a real disciple of Jesus or you aren't. God desires that we are impacting people like salt does in a good meal or like light that illuminates everything around it. You're either doing it or you're not. Now today we look at prayer. Many people pray. About half of Americans pray every day and most of them are praying for something really great. Most people are praying for those who mistreat them and for their enemies. But this is my favorite part. The next most popular thing people pray for every day is that they will win the lottery. No joke. Is that how it's supposed to work? Let's dive in and explore what a lifetime of prayer ought to look like. And we continue from last week with the Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. Jesus has just finished teaching about not retaliating and loving your enemies when he shares this. Uh, Eric's going to read for us. This is the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Today's version of our reading is taken from the message. Uh, My hope is these very familiar verses of Scripture might be heard in a new way from this different version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, Don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating per meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it. Quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is, so, is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father who you're dealing with, who knows you better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blazing beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, There is a connection between what God does and what you do. 
You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And from 1 Samuel 3, 8 through 11, the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Open our hearts and ears to hear from you as we consider how we should pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Going home can be a very unique experience, especially once you're old enough to be out on your own. I had graduated from college and my parents moved out of the home I had spent my whole childhood in, and a few months later I found myself not far from that old house that I had spent so much time in. I'd actually called my parents and asked them if they had something of mine, something I needed. They said they thought that they had left it at the old house when they moved, and they suggested that I go there and ask the new owners. They said they were very nice people, so why not try? So I did. I knocked on the door that had been my door for all those years. After introducing myself, the new owners welcomed me in. They even offered me a drink. But the thing that struck me immediately was how wrong everything looked. My parents' furniture was gone. The paintings were gone. Perhaps most disturbing of all, the floral wallpaper that my mom put up in every home we had ever lived in was painted over. It certainly did not look like my house. They told me I could check my old room to see if the thing I was missing was still there. I walked into the room and had a moment to myself. That's when I noticed the smell of cigarettes. Not only was the furniture wrong and the wall color wrong, also the smell was all wrong. What was this place? It wasn't home for me. This was clearly someone else's home. For years afterward, I thought about that moment. Where was my home if it wasn't there? The apartment I lived in was just a place I stayed. It wasn't home. Where was home for me? When I moved to a new city, there was something I realized about where I grew up. It had some of the best food in the world. Nowhere has pizza and wings like my hometown. You can't even find chicken finger subs anywhere else. Uh, I may not have had a place to call home, but when I bit into a perfect pizza or a delicious chicken finger sub from back there, my stomach was able to tell me I was home. That's one way I knew. Uh, maybe you have something similar that reminds you of home. My wife is from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and every time we go there in the spring, she rolls down the windows, she sniffs, and says, ah, smells like home. Do you know what smell that is in the farms of Lancaster in the spring? <laughs> it's farmers getting their fields ready for crops with horse manure. Yet that is home for my wife. I know some of you have pets that you love dearly, and home is when your pets greet you or the cat curls up against you. Uh, but probably the thing that means the most to many of us is being with the people we love. 
The cliche, home is where your heart is, is all about family and friends. When you are where you are loved and are loving others, you are home. That sense of home and connection is so important. And if you don't have it, you might be asking yourself, like I was, where is home for me? It's more than just a place to live or a place to put our stuff. Home is about the heart. And yet sometimes our circumstances take us away from where our heart is. I didn't want to leave that home I grew up in, but my parents sold the home and moved to a different state. I had no choice. More and more people, they find themselves far away from family. About 25% of people in the U.S. say they don't even live in the same state as even one extended family member. As for people getting together with their extended family, about 20% of people say they see their family every year. Another 20% say they see them at least every five years. But that leaves 60% of people that haven't seen their extended family in at least five years. Millions of people say they never, ever see their extended family. And, and millions more are estranged from a parent, a sibling, or a child. You can see having a place to call home is a real struggle for a lot of people. They don't have a place where they feel welcomed. They don't feel like they belong. I think that is a pretty serious issue, and it's one that the scriptures address, although perhaps not in the way we may typically think of it. Jesus is in the midst of one of his most difficult teachings in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. This part begins with charity, where Jesus says very clearly, beware of practicing your piety or charity before others in order to be seen by them. We heard it today as, don't put on a performance when you are trying to be good. This is the key point in the whole passage. Everything else flows through this idea. So hold on to this. Why do we do the good things you do? Do you do it so other people will see you? Do you do it so other people will admire you? If so, then other people's admiration is all you are going to get. There is no further reward. It's like the lady who lost her purse while Christmas shopping. It was found by an honest little boy and returned to her. Looking in her purse, she commented, huh, that's strange. When I lost my bag, there was a $20 bill in it. Now there are $21 bills in it. And the boy quickly replied, that's right, lady. The last time I found someone's purse, she didn't have any change for a reward. <laughs> now, you might get a buck or two doing things that way, right? But that's it. All good will, all good will is lost when you expect people to reward you for being good. So Jesus moves on to the next topic. But remember, this is all about our piety, our good works. Jesus says, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. What's wrong with how some people prayed back then? Well, they prayed so that others would see them. They were getting their reward from the people who thought they were so great for their reverential and spiritual lives. But that's not what Jesus is interested in. See, back then, most cultures would pile up a list of titles for the deity. O most holy and magnanimous Lord of omnipotence and never-ending philanthropy. Sounds annoying to me just saying that, but that's how it was back then. They felt like they, they just flattered God with enough fancy words. If they did that, then God would start to pay attention. Jesus is having none of that. He says, cut that garbage out. God does not care about a performance like that. God wants your heart. 
That's when Jesus shares the Lord's Prayer, a simple, straightforward prayer for God's kingdom to come, for food each day, to forgive and be forgiven, and to avoid sin. On that last point, we usually pray the Lord's Prayer saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That may sound strange as we pray for God not to bring us into temptation, but that's not what the prayer is saying. It's saying, let us not sin when we are tested. We know temptation will come. Lord, keep us from falling when it does. Now, we may hear all that and wonder, well, what does any of that have to do with coming home? Home is nice, and prayer is needed, but these two things aren't connected together, are they? Well, Richard Foster, who is a relatively famous author, has written many books on spiritual discipline, some specifically on prayer. He was pretty influential in my own life, and he says of prayer that it is nothing more than coming home. As a home welcomes you in and has things and creatures and people who make you feel like you belong, so does prayer. When you pray, you are enveloped by God, who tells you you belong. When you pray, it is an opportunity to be exactly where you belong. Now, some of you might hear that and say, okay, that's nice, but that is not how I feel about prayer. When I pray, it feels like a chore. It feels like medicine. So we pray when we have an emergency, when we feel like we have to because we have no other options. It's medicine for when things go wrong. It's a good thing, sure, but it's the box with a glass cover and a bar of chocolate inside that says, break in case of emergency. We pray because we have to, because we have no other choice, and not because we want to. But Richard Foster points us in a very different direction. When we say prayer is like coming home, he's saying this is a spiritual discipline that can take us to this wonderful place like being embraced by family and friends where you belong. There are some people who know this feeling. Some of them are right here in our church. You pray in a way that feels just like being wrapped up in the arms of, of God. I love that we have a prayer group that always stands ready to lift up the needs of our community. That's such a blessing to this church. But many of us feel like prayer is hard. We hear about someone who prays every morning or every evening going through their prayer list. Or Martin Luther, who said, I am so busy, I can't do anything without spending three hours in daily prayer. Man, if that isn't a humble brag, I don't know what is. And we hear this and we are discouraged. I can't do that. I can't pray for five minutes without getting bored. How could God possibly expect an hour or more from me? But the issue isn't about time or boredom. The issue is that we are beginners. We aren't very experienced at prayer. So of course we can't do the things these spiritual powerhouses can do. We have to start at the beginning. Prayer is coming home. Prayer is taking a moment to feel God's presence. Prayer is asking for help in an emergency, yes, but when, our, but when you are ready for more than a superficial relationship with God, you have to build up your endurance, your tolerance, spend more time with God praying, and you'll find you have stronger spiritual muscles. You can do more.
You can reach out to God for more than an emergency. You can see guidance in wisdom. You can have access to a reservoir of spiritual support. In fact, the thing we see most clearly in the Bible about prayer is that unlike all the people around them who felt like they had to cajole God into doing things for them, Scripture shows us that there is this simple trust in prayer to God that it really does change things. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we are co-laborers with God and that our prayer doesn't force God into doing anything. Instead, it brings forth this beautiful tapestry of God and us together. Sometimes you get stuck thinking we are powerless and we have to hang everything on God. Other times we think We don't need God, except in an emergency, of course, but neither one of these things is true. We co-labor with God, and prayer is where we meet together. The Bible is so committed to this joint venture between us and God, it often describes God as changing his mind so that God remains consistent with his great love for us. This is a pretty phenomenal statement there. Imagine what lengths you might go to for someone you love. God meets with us in prayer, and the more time we spend in prayer, the more likely we are to see a bigger picture of how this world is woven together. We are not alone. God is welcoming us home. You belong in God's arms, and you can go there in an instant through prayer and see something new as you co-labor with God in this world. Let's end with this. Uh, In the book, Welcoming Justice, Charles Marsh describes how Martin Luther King Jr. met with Jesus in prayer. It was January 1956, and Martin Luther King Jr. had returned home around midnight after a long day of organizational meetings. His wife and young daughter were already in bed, and King was ready to go to sleep too, but a threatening phone call stopped him. He was getting as many as 30 to 40 times of these calls per day. When he tried to go back to bed, he could not shake the menacing voice that kept repeating those hateful words in his head. So King got up, made a pot of coffee, and sat down at his kitchen table. With his head buried in his hands, he cried out to God. There in his kitchen in the middle of the night, when he had come to the end of his strength, King met the living God. He said, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He promised I was never alone. In the stillness of that night, the voice of Jesus brought King home. The threatening voice of the anonymous caller had lost all its power. The voice of Jesus gave him the courage to press through the year 1956 and complete the Montgomery bus boycott. More than that, it gave him assurance that would carry him for the rest of his life. Praise God for people like Martin Luther King Jr. who turned to the Lord in prayer. Praise God he was not putting on a performance as though the outcome were already decided. Instead, he chose the hard work of co-laboring with God so that the world may be impacted, changing hearts and lives. You can do it too. Not by making prayer a performance, but by making it a way of life. Choose to come home to the Lord in prayer, and you'll find yourself working with God to make a difference everywhere with everyone. Amen?
Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.